I want to read just a short passage of scripture from Isaiah 42. Isaiah is describing the coming Messiah. He will not cry out nor raise his voice. He will not make his voice heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break. And a dimly burning wick he will not extinguish. This is the word of God for the people of God. I want to talk for a little bit about my favorite disciple of Jesus' 12 disciples, Nathaniel, who was also called Bartholomew. Why is he my favorite, you might wonder. Well, you'll probably be surprised, but he's my favorite because he's the most like me. <laughs> Why do I say that? I want to look just briefly at his story. We don't hear much at all about Nathaniel. He's just briefly described in the book of John. Jesus found Philip and said to him, follow me. Philip is from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found the one of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote. He is Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said, come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him and said, Behold an Israelite in whom there is no guile. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered and said, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answers, Rabbi, you are the Son of God, the King of Israel. Jesus answered, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, you believe, you'll see greater things than these. He said to him, truly, you will see the heavens open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. When I read this brief story of Nathaniel, it really catches my attention. And the first thing that catches my attention is I hear what Nathaniel says and what Jesus calls him. And I think, Jesus, I don't know if you're a very good judge of character. Philip takes Nathaniel to see Jesus. He says, you're going to meet the Messiah. Nathaniel doesn't go, wow, that is so exciting. He says, yeah, right. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? That phrase shows cynicism. It shows hopelessness. It shows that very word guile. That's what guile means. Jesus' first words to Nathaniel were, you are the one in whom there's no guile. So I wonder, I almost wanted to say to Jesus, did you not hear what Nathaniel just said about you? Do you not get it? Well, of course, I know that's not true. I know Jesus gets it. So there must be something going on. When Jesus said, you are the one in whom there is no guile, Nathaniel said, how do you know me? I think I know what Nathaniel was thinking in that moment. He was thinking, Jesus, if you knew me, you wouldn't say I was the one without guile. I don't know how discerning you are. I think I know how Nathaniel felt because I felt that way once. The very first time I came to be interviewed for New Covenant, we had what I thought was a fruitful interview. And at the end, Pastor Harold puts his hand on my shoulder and says, you are a truly humble person. And I thought, you are a truly horrible judge of character. <laughs> so I know, I know what Nathaniel might have been thinking. 
So he says, how did you know me anyway, Jesus? And Jesus' answer changes Nathaniel inside and out. He says, when you were under the fig tree, I knew you. I saw you. And Nathaniel goes, you are the son of God. He went from hopeless skeptic to a believer. Simply because in the presence of Jesus, he meets the one who says, I know you. I knew you. I see you. I saw you. I know you, and I know you have been full of guile, but I want you to know I still love you. I still invite you to come to me. And so Nathaniel meets the one that he finally could relax and find the one in whom he could fully trust. It's what he needed all along. It's what Nathaniel needed all along. It's what we need to know, yes, we are fully seen and fully known, but yet fully fully loved by the one whom we really can trust. That's why Nathaniel's my favorite. That's why I said he was most like me. Because I know what it's like to have that suspicious and kind of hopeless, cynical outlook. People like who Nathaniel was and who I was, we can be hard to be around. My sister's here today, she can tell you. Kind of negative, cynical, kind of hopeless. In my case, and I think probably Nathaniel's case didn't make him the life of the party. It isn't probably somebody you want to become close friends with. People like that are usually critical, ready to see the downside, and let me tell you, able to worry about whatever even has the slightest chance of happening. A downer, pretty often with rough language, ready to expect the worst. And let me tell you, always ready to be the first one to say, I told you so. You know people like that. I would have absolutely said in Nathaniel's shoes, can anything good come out of Nazareth? We want to steer clear of these people. We don't want to talk to these people. And often we think there's really not much point in trying to share the gospel with them. Unless maybe we look just a little deeper. See, I know what's beneath the surface because I was absolutely full of Kyle. But I also know why I was. And maybe that's helpful to understand. It wasn't because I woke up one day and said, you know, I think the best way to win friends and influence people is to be cold and hopeless. Nope, didn't think that. When we were four, we had a tragedy strike our family. It was absolutely horrible. It was the worst thing I could ever imagine. I don't pretend for a minute we had the corner market on suffering, but I can tell you when as a child the worst thing that you imagine can happen, you find out, guess what? That little fantasy world that children sometimes get to live in where we don't think anything bad will happen. Guess what? That gets ripped away. And in my case, and I think in Nathaniel's case, and probably in a lot of people's case, that can have the effect of saying, well, I already know the worst can happen, and I don't ever want to be caught off guard by that again. The pain is too much. The disappointment is too searing. And I know if it can happen once, we begin to think, and it probably will again. 
So we start building this wall. We go down this path of cynicism and doubt to where we don't even risk the possibility of hope. That's where most of my guile came from. And if you want to add to that other things like we were raised at least pretty close to poor and we had the second biggest family in town. We weren't the biggest. There was one family with 22 kids. We only had 11. But that layers that kind of hopeless outlook. What happens to Nathaniel is what began to happen in me as I met Jesus who said, not only do I know you for who you are, I know why you're the way you are, but I can do a transforming work from the inside out. Guess what? You're going to find out my promises are true. I'm with you even when the bad things happen. Hope does not disappoint. It's okay to be hopeful again. So I started that journey at the age of 17. I began to know Jesus. I began to be around people who also could say, he is the one in whom you can trust. You don't need that defensive wall around you anymore. And I began to be set free of guile. I was no longer afraid of being hopeful. And I began to the shock of it. Most people who knew me well began to say Jesus was my savior. And I began to experience a gladness. I really hadn't, I don't know if I'd ever felt it. I'm still working on it. Some of you who know me the best know that. But I'm a thousand times freer than I was. I went from this, if you'll show the first slide. Put it back up there if you can. <laughs> Recognize that? Sarcasm, one of the many services I offer. I went from that to beginning to find gladness. And I went in the early 70s to the first Jesus festival in the country. And I was worshiping in true gladness. And it just so happened Time Magazine was there and snapped our picture. That's me in the middle going like this. And don't I look happy? Transformation. So you might say, but you know, Jeff, you started with reading that passage from Isaiah. What does that have to do with any of this? Well, first of all, I chose it because it's one of my favorite passages in the Old Testament. But I also show it because Isaiah points us to the Messiah we can all meet. The one who is the one that says, a bruised reed, I won't break or let be broken. And a dimly burning wick, he will not extinguish. Isaiah is all over proclaiming the coming Messiah. Earlier he says, he is the mighty God, the Prince of Peace, and the everlasting Father. And when we hear those words, we know he is the Messiah before whom we want to bow. We're in awe. We come with him in reverence, but we think, especially if we have doubt or we have fear or we're afraid to be hopeful, we might say, how can I in my brokenness, how can I in my doubt, how can I, in my shame, come before that kind of Messiah? So I'm so grateful. He's also the kind of Messiah that Isaiah describes in the passage that I read. He is the one that cares about the bruised reed. He is the one that says, I won't let that smoking flax be extinguished. When we think about that broken reed, remember a reed as it stands there growing in a swamp, is something that might be bent, crushed, hurt. 
Just like we can be bent, crushed, hurt. To look at it, don't see much worth in it. And we know it only grows in marshy, smelly circumstances. So we don't see much hope about that broken reed. Not much more fragile than a bruised and broken reed. Crushed by stormy weather. But yet he says, nope, I come to you like that. What about that smoking flax that he wouldn't let quench? The ancients would use that. They would take that flax like a wick. They would put it in a small lamp with oil. And of course, after a while, it would begin to burn out. It would smoke and go out. And they would just toss it away and put in fresh oil if needed and put in a new one. But the Messiah says, no, not going to let that be extinguished. But I'll put the oil of my Holy Spirit and relight the flame within you. I won't let that bruised reed break and I won't let that flax extinguish. And I'm so glad to say this morning that isn't just a one-time experience, but it goes on in our life. Whenever life brings us such things that we feel we're bruised or that our light is about to go out. Life continues to bruise us. I know that because I know a lot of you in this room and I've walked with some of you through that. But we continue to find out, even in our bruised state, that he is the one who's trustworthy, who comes to us, maybe even especially when we're bruised. He comes to us when we feel like our light's about to go out and refreshes us with the oil of the Holy Spirit. The Apostle Paul talked about it like this. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show the surpassing power belongs to God, not us. So yes, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not despairing. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Because we always carry in our body the death of Jesus. So the life of Jesus may be manifested through our bodies. So like Nathaniel we have the opportunity to find out, not once, but again and again, that our hope can be restored. I don't know if you find yourself anywhere in this passage today. You might sometimes, like me, feel like you're that light, that boy, it's just smoldering, don't see much, don't feel like praying much, I feel discouraged more. But the Lord wants to say to you, I would never allow that to be extinguished, but come to me who comes to you and can relight the flame within you. Maybe you feel life has bruised you. You know, some bruises show up on the outside. Domestic abuse, which unfortunately some of our family members experienced. Falls might bruise us. Some of the bruises are on the outside but most probably can't be seen visibly. Losses, disappointments, financial pressures, job losses. Those bruises don't show, but they're just as real. Maybe some poor choices we've made or sins we've committed. But Jesus said, even, even as a bruised reed, I come to you and I bring 
renewal and restoration. So I ask you where you were in this passage. You might be like Nathaniel, the one who's struggling, the one who feels like the bruised reed and the smoking flax where it's hard to be hopeful. But maybe that's not you, and I certainly hope it isn't. Maybe that's not you. Then where are you in this passage? Then you might find yourself in Philip. We're called to be Philip. You know, if Philip hadn't gone to Nathaniel, he would have gone around the rest of his life saying, yeah, right. And then he's in good command of Nazareth. I would still be saying, if I hadn't had a Philip in my life, I'm too afraid to get my hopes up because I don't want to be let down again. But then Philip comes along. Philip says, I'm not worried if you are negative. I'm not worried. I'm not going to stand away even if you have a lot of guile in your heart. Because through Jesus, we're able to put on the eyes that Philip also had that says, I know there's stuff underneath that and that's why it's there. See, I believe 95% of the time those people we see as tough and cynical are really just protecting their heart. It's a posture of, I can't let my hopes get up because I don't want to be let down again. And to those people, we need to be Philip. We really do. I had the opportunity from time to time to get that right. When I was a brand new hospital chaplain, I met a lady in the hospital by the name of Juanita. And I can tell you all these years later, Juanita would probably be surprised I'm still talking about her. She was harsh and bitter and negative and cynical. And I went in, and she also had leukemia. And I went in to see her the first time, and the Lord whispered to my heart, just be, just love on her. That's all I want you to do. Don't try to say anything. Just love on her. So for often now, when she was in the hospital for a year, I would try to do just that. I'd do little things, took her a cupcake on her birthday, little things like that. Finally, about a year later, she opened up and said, I know when I die, I'm going to hell. I know I'm dying soon, and I know I'm going to hell. And I could say, Juanita, I love you too much to let you think that. You don't have to think that, and that does not have to be how your life ends. I shared with her the gospel. She prayed to accept Christ as her Savior, and one of the last things she said to me was, I've only ever known one prayer in my life. Will you pray it at my funeral? And a couple days later, I did. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. That is a prayer without guile. I don't know how this works. I don't know how Jesus, the Messiah, can make this change. But I can tell you, in the book of Isaiah, the same word that is used for the word read, that bruised read. It's also the same word to redeem. Somehow, right in the very midst of our bruised state, he redeems us. And we know on the cross, there was power that's able to change. That's why Isaiah says he was wounded for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquities. That's at least a little bit of how it works. In his 
willingness to be bruised for us. He comes to us in our bruised state and sets us free. That's how Jesus spent his whole ministry. If you think about it, think about all the people Jesus ministered to. They were all people that were bruised and broken. To the woman caught in adultery. To the woman at the well who had already had five husbands and a sixth she was living with. To the man who had a withered hand and was told, we can't pray for you on the Sabbath. To the man who couldn't make it to the pool of Bethsaida because he just never found the right way or the right time. To the man who had to be prayed for twice to be healed. To the thief on the cross. To the publican who in shame could only say, have mercy on me. That's the Messiah who comes to us saying, I'm the one that you finally can put your trust in. And I can set you free from guile and fear. And I can show you instead that it is safe and wonderful and joyous to have hope. He said to Nathaniel and he said to me and he says to us, not only will you see that I know you, you will even see the heavens open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. That's a resounding reason to have hope. I am grateful and thankful that Jesus Christ showed me it's good to have hope. I pray you know that, and I pray you share that. Amen.